Hey everybody, welcome to episode 73 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan, my name is Brandon, and I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet. The guest, Richard S.E. The topic, Lulu. The length, two plus hours. We covered it all. Let's jump into it. Hashtag spermless like a girl. My guest today is no stranger to the podcast. He is a musician, producer, music journalist who's written for Billboard Enemy and many, many more. He is also the biggest Saint Anger fan I know. If you've ever listened to Metallicast before, you know who this man is. The one, the only, the man with the Australian touch <laughs> that's all i got mr richard s he i am the root i am the progress <laughs> i'm the aggressor i am the tablet these 10 stories <laughs> i'm not the reed i'm not james hetfield either well you know you did a a, a meme worthy impression there <laughs> thank you but uh, some would say James Hetfield did a meme-worthy impression of James Hetfield in that song. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, we, but, you know, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. This is the episode that I know every Metallica fan has been dying to hear. Uh, when I did episode three, the track-by-track -track breakdown of Master Puppets, people were bombing my messages saying, why the hell are you wasting your time with this album? When in 2011, Metallica released their greatest work to date, that being their collaboration with Lou Reed, titled Lulu. And, you know, um, none of what I said is true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will say this. I, I was teasing the album on my Twitter, at MetallicaSpot. Follow me on there if you're not already. Or, or rather, teasing the the topic for this episode, not the album. And uh, I'm, I'm dropping album teasers for an album that's not mine and is almost 10 years old. <laughs> mm. I am that good. But, um, you know, teasing the topic for this here episode. And, yeah, my uh, Twitter feed lit up. People have strong opinions begging me not to do this. <laughs> but listen, I am the Metallica podcast. If I do not cover... The good, the bad, the ugly, the Lulu, because I think Lulu, and you know we'll get into this, but I think Lulu is a, a combination of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, mm. it, we are, uh, you know, I would not be doing my job, and I get paid the big bucks here 
from fansonexperts.com to bring you the latest, the greatest, the Lulus of the world. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's what, the fourth year of Metallicast now? Fourth so year, yeah. It's, it's, we point, were due. Yeah, at some point you just got to be fearless enough to tackle it head on all 90 minutes. And you like to come on board for all the most popular topics. Saint Anger, we did two episodes of. We did a 45-minute episode on. Yeah, we did it. We did MTV Icon. We, you know, we're just crushing everybody's favorite era of Metallica. So now it's time to move on to the next era, the Death Magnetic era. Except we're not talking about Death Magnetic. We're talking about, as I've already said. The Lulu. World Lulu Tour. World Lulu Tour. But, you know, I think you are the perfect person to do this with because you are uh, knowledgeable about metal, about Metallica, and things outside the metal verse. Uh, but I also want to hear your opinion on this for a couple of reasons. One, I very much value your musical opinion. And two, thank you. Because you are, oh, you know, let's just flatter each other for the rest of this episode. (laughs) Um, But no, because you are such a massive, passionate fan of St. Anger, I actually think that makes you the perfect person for this. And this is the reason why. Um, You know... When I was revisiting Lulu this week in preparation for this episode, St. Anger popped into my mind. And I and, and mm. it always does when I hear this record. I think in so many ways St. Anger was a catalyst for this album. I remember being a senior in high school when St. Anger came out. And I remember listening to it. Now, even in high school... I was a fan of some more what you might label avant-garde stuff. I do not like calling things avant-garde. I think it sounds mm. like a little douchey, but <laughs> uh, but weird. Things that are a little bit out there, whether it's something from Tom Waits or from Frank Zappa or from Mike Patton or from John totally. Zorn or from various other albums uh you know one of my buddies and i in high school would just try to outweird the other with certain albums like oh check out this album it's crazy progressive it's so weird it makes no sense they're singing a language that's not even a real language you know that type of stuff um some ambient stuff and all all that stuff like i experimented with and i enjoyed to a certain level so i have uh a, a background in that in that area of music um i'm not saying i'm the most educated but i you know have some knowledge and uh in an interest in that style of music so i bring that up only because when i heard saint anger it made me think what would it sound like if metallica did a full-fledged art album avant-garde album whatever Mm. you want to call it uh because to me at that point that was as weird as they got and and I thought as weird as they were ever going to get. When you look at the unusual tones, the unorthodox mm. production, and everything that went into the making of that album. 
And then when you look at some kind of monster, which is the perfect accompaniment, of course, to that album, because it chronicles the making of that, uh, the recording of it, the writing of it, you see little things like, you know, they're infamous scenes now, but uh, when Lars Ulrich's trying that weird drum beat back at the Presidio sessions, and he's trying to kind of, you know, flex his muscle a little bit and try something weird and different and kind of more free flowing. And James Hetfield's like, I'm used to the drummer just playing the beat. And they have that famous back and forth that ends with Kirk Hammett mm. hitting his forehead and James Hetfield walking out. And as the story in the movie goes, he went into the sunset and entered rehab. Right. Mm. And then, you know, later on you have, the making of St. Anger, and they uh, have the other infamous scene of the echo chamber with Torben Ulrich saying, delete that. <laughs> and you have these moments of experimentation, like the electric toothbrush and the guitar. And when you hear the what made the record, like the ending of some kind of monster, the like that little guitar loop is, yeah, it's so weird. And then the dissidence in a song like All Within My Hands or the, uh, like you take a song like uh, My World, you hear that entry like, did they, oh, did they just play a wrong note there? It's like warts and all. And so to me, that was as, quote, weird or artsy or avant-garde out there that they would get. Mm. Fast forward a handful of years, we get the Lou Reed collaboration, we get Lulu. So before we dive into the album, before we kind of go into the background and the track by track and all that, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what I on what I said. Do you think Saint Anger in any way was a catalyst for this collaboration for this record? I used to think they stood apart more than together, but this time I've changed my mind. It's partly um. Well, let me take it back to the top right. So I have this weird thing where if I go see an artist live very often i'll be like oh cool that was the peak of my experience with them i'm good you know um it's happened with a lot of artists like i'll go and see them and i'll be like oh this is amazing and then not listen to them for like five years so i'm sad to say that sort of happened with metallica a little bit in um probably i think it was 09 or 10 the world magnetic tour actually it was 10 yeah we got like one of the last uh, legs of that tour or something in Australia. So that was awesome. Um, I disengaged with them a little bit after that. And so when the news of Lulu came out, I was like, hmm, okay, this is interesting. It sounds like it's something that could be up my alley and not the alley of the vast majority of Metallica fans since right. I'm a Velvet Underground fan. Lou Reed solo, I've just dabbled, but I like everything I've heard and I... Yeah, respect him as a cultural figure for sure. Um, so yeah, I remember listening to it for the first time and not really processing it that much, I guess. Um, I I will leave that for later. But um, I always thought that... I always thought that St. Anger was maybe a bit more considered in its composition, if that makes sense, because... That was Metallica doing Metallica. They'd honed what they'd done over several years, like starting with the Presidio Sessions in 2001. Um, whereas Lulu felt 
kind of tossed off, like in terms of Metallica's role on it, and then seemingly jamming and coming up with backings to what Lou Reed already brought in. Right. And, um, no, with this, this was my fourth listen, which again is four more than most people. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I tend to listen once every couple of years, and um, the first three times I didn't, my response didn't change, but this time it did. Um, yeah, maybe as a result of having written about Saint Anger and how that album is sort of it's like a form of punish punishing yourself over and over again until you grieve and you learn to change and accept yourself or die. Right. And um I see a bit of that in Lulu as well, um, in the composition and in the sheer length of it, but also within Lou Reed's lyrics, which are very um they're even more about death and depravity than usual and it was his last album before he passed in was it 2015 i think believe Early so 2015 yeah. yeah so it's very much on my mind but i definitely see them as sister albums now just one through maybe the lens of james and metallica's collective purging and lulu in terms of lou reads over a lifetime um in a way it's kind of a climax for him, I want to say, because he had been working on it for a long, long time before he met Metallica. So you touched upon a little bit um, your background with Lou Reed's music. Your background with Metallica is well documented here on Metallica mm. because you've been on so much and we've talked so much about the band. But dive into a little bit more what your background as a, as a fan is with Lou Reed. I think I first heard the Velvet Underground and Nico, the debut, you know, the famous one with the banana peel on it. Um, right. I think in 07, when I was, yeah, um, 11th grade, high school. And I definitely liked it at the time. It's an album that I appreciate more and more as I get older, just seeing the sheer significance of it, because it kind of is like year zero or the foundation of what we know as alternative music yeah, and definitely art rock. Um, Cause before then you have psychedelic music. Um, even the Beatles uh, had veered into that path. You have sure. like more overtly experimental and early electronic music that really has no relationship with pop at all. But the Velvet Underground kind of are all of that for pop like they wrote pop songs like the first song on the first album is sunday morning and it's this gorgeous like indie pop song with xylophones and stuff um but then yeah the album gets dark and depraved at times like they have a song called heroin which is one of the most brilliant like evocations of the feelings of being high and addicted in all music i would say they share that in common with master of puppets um Yeah, fantastic album, beautiful. And, you know, they say it has like 11 tracks and each of those 11 tracks inspired one band to like rip that off for their entire career. (laughs) Like you have the Strokes doing the more poppy stuff. Um, You have people just, you know, just ripping off the drones and Mm -hmm. the drug songs and all that. Right. Um, Nico's weird, like German intonation. Mm-hmm. singing love songs but seemingly with no emotion which kind of makes them more <laughs> affecting yeah so always love that album um the others i haven't explored as much 
but um, I guess the most significant one to this project would be White Light, White Heat, which is their mm-hmm. second album. And um, yeah, se- sequel to an album that, well, the debut was like never huge in its day. It took a while to be reappreciated. But White Light, White Heat was just a burst of noise. Some pop, some recognizably pop tracks, but it was kind of them heading in the direction of like the Stooges in just terms mm-hmm. of pure scuzzy and noise there's a song called sister ray which is 17 minutes long ends the album and um i think it's like i think it's like the left and right channels are different but in both it's just them like jamming and honking and stuff yeah <laughs> like an exorcism <laughs> it's you know if it's cathartic it's cathartic for them and not necessarily for the listener but right yeah yeah. So there's that Lou Reed solo albums. I've only heard a couple, like b- being the most famous ones, Berlin and Transformer. And again, mm-hmm. they're both like Berlin's a concept album about God knows what. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, if the wall or whatever is, you know, the the popular face of the rock opera. This is the Marquis right. Bizarre version. Yeah. And Transformer, you have Walk on the Wild Side, which again is sort of the, well, that and Perfect Bay are sort of the essence of Lou Reed, right? Like he could write these beautiful pop songs, but there was always a darker undercurrent to them if you were willing to look even slightly beneath the surface. It's just always there. And so people perceive him as being this kind of like standoffish, sometimes ironic and difficult guy. But mm-hmm. he he is and he isn't. There's a certain like unreadability to him, but also he's ultimately I think is quite sincere, which is why I think Lulu happened at all. Mm-hmm. I I like to think that all parties saw a bit of themselves in each other. Right. Yeah, and so for me, I I mean I through high school I think the only working knowledge I had of Lou Reed was take a walk in the wild side like Mm. super basic the one song that they play on like you know classic rock radio um but when i was in college you know i went to music college and you're exposed to so much that i uh I, i never did a deep dive but i you know got exposed to kind of the basics like i got kind of i feel like i got kind of like a lou reed 101 in terms of uh, Velvet Underground and, um, you know, a couple of his classic albums, um, solo wise. So I entered Lou, Lou though, as obviously Metallica being my favorite band, but with, uh, kind of a limited casual knowledge of Lou Reed. And one of the interesting things for me in preparing for this episode was I've sort of have started doing a deeper dive finally into the Lou Reed catalog because um, Hmm. I spent the last few days I was telling Richard before we started recording on Lou Reed Facebook groups and Lou Reed discord groups talking about Lulu saying, Hey, I'm the host of Metallica podcast. We're doing this episode. And I, cause I'm fascinated. We, you always hear the opinion of the Metallica fan. I wanted to know the opinion of the Lou Reed fans, the diehards. Um, And so I'll get into that later in the episode, but uh, they were able to kind of uh, a couple really cool guys. We had some great conversation. They were kind of able to steer me in certain directions, um, and they used Berlin as an uh, as an example. And that was an album I had heard of, 
Um, but I did not realize that it was like critically panned and completely shit on when it was released. And it was not until like the 2000s, like 2005-ish, they were telling me that it kind of started getting recognized for it being a masterpiece to the point where Rolling Stone magazine even revoked their original scathing review of the record. And it's like it's like one of the first examples of a, you know, disaster piece by a rock artist, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting to me because the person I was speaking to, Michael was his name if you are listening to this podcast. Uh thank you. Um he was kind of giving me uh, a crash course in Lou Reed in terms uh, and especially with the Berlin record and he and he said that he felt Berlin and Lulu go hand in hand and he and, and there is this um there's a lot of mixed opinions about this record even from Lou Reed fans but there is a lot of people who think you know just like Berlin just like metal machine music this album will be recognized years down the road um, as a masterpiece, as a Lou Reed masterpiece. I think that I don't, it's too early to say that the tide is turning, but I read, um, I read a piece from Uproxx, uh, Stephen Hyden, who's a great rock writer. Um, he said for him, Lulu was the album of 2020. Uh, he had started doing a Lou Reed deep dive and um, he found that when revisiting Lulu, something about it's like darkness and depravity really spoke to him, uh, you know, in 2020 and just being surrounded by all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, well, should, should we get into our impressions now? Cause yeah, I think, I think we kind of, let's, let's jump into our initial impressions of the album and kind of go through it. Uh, we can go through it track by track even. Even we did not spend tons of time on Duh. each song. Do you remember the first time you heard the album or heard something from Lulu? Because I remember the first time I heard The View, the the first yeah. single off the album. Yeah, that being the, I think the music video or maybe the full song came out first because the music video is like a shortened version. It has like one less. Verse. Yeah. But the video uh, famously shot by Darren Aronofsky of like Requiem for a Dream. Right, right yeah. And um, Oscar winning director. Yeah, it's this cool like performance piece of clearly the five guys in the studio, but he really separates Lou from Metallica almost completely. Like yeah. I don't think you ever see them in the same shot. And there are some cool effects that look like them, you know, it's their faces dissociating and stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know what my first impression was. I think the internet had already got ahead of it and uh, blogged mm-hmm. it and said, ha, 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 look at this weird <laughs> track, the table, lol. And um, I, I think in isolation, it, you know, fair enough. That is what the song sounds like. You know, I can't yeah. say it's not kind of goofy sounding. It might actually be my least favorite song on the album now, but yeah. that was my first impression of the song anyway. Yeah, I remember being in the car with my wife and we were coming home from somewhere. It was some kind of like long car ride, probably coming back from visiting family or something. And we're sitting in traffic on 
uh, highway in New York City. I forget which one, but I just remember like sitting at a toll. And I was on my phone, I guess it was, at the time. And I was like, oh, the new Metallica Lou Reed song is out. Let me play it. And I must have pulled it up on like YouTube or something, played it through the our crappy car speakers. And I just sat there in silence and listened. And I wanted to play it again just to kind of try to register what I just heard. And my wife said, you are not playing that song again. So when I got home, I revisited the song on my own. And uh, I, I'm not, I'm honestly not sure if I had an opinion on it in terms of if I liked it or not, but I was intrigued Mm -hmm. and I was interested in what the, uh, and what, and what the rest of the album would hold because, um, yeah, the lyrics were jarring to say the least. Um, perhaps a bit comical hearing I am, I am, I am, right? Um, but uh, thank you. Uh, but there were moments that I liked. I mean, I knew what Lou Reed sounded like, so it's not like his vocals were completely off-putting for me, which seems to be a common complaint with Metallica fans. And uh, it had a cool kind of like slow, doomy riff that was, I think, pretty unique for Metallica. Um, you know, where it's just kind of like slowed all the way down at times, but still picking up with pockets of intensity. And I had no clue if it was just going to be Lou Reed singing. So I was almost paying less attention to the lyrics and more pleasantly surprised that like Hetfield was also singing. I was like, Oh, it's like really more of a, a collaboration than perhaps I was anticipating. Um, so I was left listening to that song intrigued. Um, and I, I can tell you that, I bought the album the first day it came out, like I do with every Metallica album. Went to, uh, I, at that point, I, uh, you know, it was like Best Buy was the only place around that sold CDs. So I went to Best Buy. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who went there that day to buy the album. Uh, in fact, if you look at the album sales, I can guarantee you I was the only person who stopped <laughs> at that Best Buy to buy that album. Um, and I remember listening to it in the car on my way home from work and I definitely did not hate it. Hmm. There were some songs that were, uh, I I think I listened to it the first time as a Metallica fan. So I was focusing on the Metallica parts hmm. and I, and the thing that stood out to me the first time was like, there are some killer riffs on here. Um, and then, you know, I went back for a few repeats and the more I listened to it, it, the more it kind of drained on me. And I think within um, a couple of weeks, I had pretty much been, you know, had had I felt I felt like it had more than served its purpose in my life. Um, and I definitely escaped back to Master Puppets and Ride the Lightning. But you had mentioned before sort of how you just went through it for four times. So I've, I, I'm not sure how many times I've listened to it. I've listened to it several. But it, it basically got reduced to... There's a few songs on the album that I kind of liked. And I would revisit those songs maybe once a year. And then I would be more than happy to carry on with my life and listen to 
most anything else. Um, and every time I went back, it was more out of like curiosity. I think still all these years later, um, then like, Oh, I need to hear cheat on me. I need Mm -hmm. to hear that song. It was more just like, I kind of remember digging parts of that song. Do I like it? Do I dislike it? Then you listen to me like, all right, I'm good. I'm ready to move on. So I had no, no plan to revisit this album anytime soon. Uh, and then I messaged Richard about doing this episode. He mentions Lulu as a possible topic. I said, you know what? It's about time we do it. Let's yep. do it. So I forced myself to listen to the album start to finish. And I have to say, I was a little bit surprised. I My tune is starting to change a little bit. And it was interesting because some of the songs I had not heard maybe in years, because there'd be some songs that I just would not even bother listening to. So for me, it was kind of revisiting the album with fresh ears. And uh, when I went into it, knowing what the al- knowing exactly what the album was, listening to with listening to a lot of it with fresh ears, I think I could kind of appreciate more of it. Absolutely. Um, I think part of the, uh, may- maybe the misconception of this album is that like, why did it need a single to begin with? You know, like this is not a single album. No, this is. I I think it it must have been something about like the record label wanting to recoup more, or like them just operating as usual. Because yeah, there were rumors that Ice Honey was going to be the single because that's the other like closest to a pop track we have. But yeah, yeah. the whole notion of the view being a a single ahead of the album. And also, um, also like the kind of leather jacket photo shoot to me is a bit odd. Yeah. You know the one I'm talking about? Like it looks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It looks kind of the same as most Metallica photo shoots from like 2000 on. I'm holding it up right here. Yeah. They all have their, they're all wearing black. And they all have their sunglasses on. They're all giving their best menacing metal faces. To me, that just frames the album a bit in a bit of an unproductive way because you have the um, like the mannequin artwork and the the red blood like painting of Lulu on the album cover, and that's all very consistent. But um, the personal photos of them seem a bit jarring. It's kind of like, hey, we're rock stars doing this thing, rather than like these weird ass yeah. artists doing whatever the fuck we want with this, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I agree. When you when you look at this front cover of the mannequin and the blood red Lulu strewn across. You're like, this is going to be a weird, like artsy album. But when you look at the things, the, the band images, you're almost like, is this going to be like a audio slave super group? (laughs) Um, What, like, what, what am I in store for? So I, I agree with you. I think it's a little bit conflicting. Um, and, you know, there's just no unless if you've exposed yourself to Lou Reed yep. and his catalog of music, there is no preparing a Metallica fan for this record. Absolutely. And and let's be honest, there's not a lot of people out there who are going to seek out something, especially when their introduction to it is, you know, the view. Mm. The, the you know, to hear you know, however old he was, 70, 80 years old, uh, Lou Reed doing 
basically spoken word poetry over a doomy slow metallica riff and half feel screaming i am the table you're gonna be like what just i uh, you're, you're just gonna be your mind's gonna be boggled but i think when you if you go into it with a, some kind of passing knowledge of lou reed or at least what his music generally sounds like in his voice because he has a very signature voice um i think you know you can at least know kind of what to expect from it um and i say that because not that i'm a was i already said i'm not a was not a big lou reed fan going into this but like one of my favorite artists is tom waits and trust me Mm. if you heard tom waits sing over something james hatfields was playing it would probably sound a lot like lulu (laughs) totally but then again you have that thing in common where both of them are sort of blues artists right they are rock artists yeah. who are informed by the blues and that notion like the the genesis of rock and roll and all of that in a way that a lot right. of metal bands aren't like a lot of metal bands just play with that kind of classical precision but aren't yeah. into like the dissonance of it all but um i'll get back to my first impression so i think well i think the first three times i listened to lulu um it felt it felt spiky to me because you have Lou's vocals at this kind of constant pitch. He's fairly monotone, but he does express himself, I guess. But there's something about the combination of him, like his voice sounding like the old man that he is, by the way, um, Mm -hmm. over Metallica's backing, which they're not mixed together in a way. They feel like oil and yeah. water the first few times and maybe the yes. thousandth time. But um, Hetfield's vocals really stood out. And I think that's something I never processed until recently, which is that probably his vocals are my least favorite part of the album, which is to say that um, I, I understand the dynamic between him and Lou. Like he's backing up Lou. But there's something about him putting on his kind of rock god voice for this album, the stereotypical Hetfield, yeah, voice that doesn't really work for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's almost like Hetfield is the one that sticks out. And if it was only Lou doing vocals on this album, it would be a bit easier to get into that headspace. So right. I almost think that on your first listen, you should play the album backwards because the... Um, <laughs> the first two songs are really the ones that are like the most confounding and the most like hard rock riff plus Lou Reed rambling plus Hetfield yelling. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, whereas the later, yeah. by the time you get to the later tracks, which most people don't and fair enough, you are in this very particular headspace of the riffs droning on and on, but with a sense of purpose and also Lou Reed's like, lyrics start to become like the purpose starts to become a bit clearer. Like, even if you don't know the literal meaning of everything, like the emotion I think is there. And so, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So the, the first three listens, it was jarring, but this time around, I feel like the riffs kind of just put me in a trance, which I think is what they were designed to do. And I really got into that headspace of a Lou Reed towards the end of his life. He's reaching back to um, the plays that inspired him because Lulu is a character from these two plays by a German 
playwright called Frank Vertikind, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, they they were made into movies in the 20s and 30s. Um, but they're very, like, Marquis de Sade kind of narratives about a woman who uh, has a lot of male suitors and murders them and is killed by Jack the Ripper. So it's Lou Reed reaching back to, like, the dawn of his artistic influences. Um, and... Yeah, connecting with Metallica, this band that I think he genuinely really grew to love at the end of his life. You know, mm-hmm. I think of this album as um, like we, you and I have always said that this is a Lou Reed album, not a Metallica album. But I mm-hmm. think I would say that it's like Lou is the band leader and Metallica almost like they're almost like his sledgehammer. Or like a trained yeah. like dog or a pet or something. There, you might say Lou is the master. Exactly. And Metallica is the puppets. Even though you would think Metallica like composing and playing the riffs, um, yeah, and they arguably dominate more of the more of what you hear. It, it's yeah. still a Lou Reed album through and through, in essence. Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. I think it is definitely more of a Lou Reed album because it's his. It's his words, it's his artistic vision, and he it when you listen to the album, it becomes very evident to me that he is the one pulling the strings, mm. master puppets pun intended. And uh, uh but, but you know, one if you are a fan of Metallica, you know that if you listen to Master Puppets or Injustice for All, or any of those classic records, they are known for their tight arrangements, their mm. precise composition, their their are you know their their none of that exists on Lulu because it's all improvisational jam. So when you listen to it as a Metallica fan, it can sound like repetitive or meandering or just like an arrangement completely falls apart, and and that's because all of that is happening, all mm. of that is true but all of that is intentional and it's all because it's lou reed i believe directing the band and even when you hear a song like pumping blood there's even a moment where lugu where where, where lulu i says where lou reed goes come on james mm. and like because all of it's just live on the floor them jamming and him directing the chaos and you can hear those moments in certain songs where, you know, Metallica be playing away and then it just falls apart and then they just kind of keep going. And I can picture in my head, like Lou Reed doing like these silent. I don't know if this is true. But this is how I picture it as a listener in my head of like Lou Reed giving like these sounds moments, like Lars keep fucking playing the damn drums and like just pushing them to keep kind of going and, uh, and just seeing where it happens. And cause I know for a fact, cause they've said it in interviews where they'd, they would do something like, oh, that was cool. Let's do it again. He's like, no, nope, we're good. Because mm. it's just one and done. You know, what you what what he captured was that moment, and that was the moment he wanted. He did not care about the precise performances and the tight compositions and everything that you sort of become accustomed to as a Metallica fan. Even when you look at, you know, like, the Black Album Load Reload, which has less complex arrangements, they're tightly constructed songs. 
And that was another kind of similarity I felt like with St. Anger. Mm. St. Anger is definitely more composed, but there's a lot more repetition and kind of drawn out arrangements and kind of arrangements go in different directions or sort of fall apart, not in the same way as Lulu, mm. but in a similar fashion more so than any other Metallica record. But that's sort of like what stood out to me as a listener when I first heard it, and especially now revisiting it this week in preparation for this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, as you said about the repetition, it is there and it is not, it's not likable in the way that like they're tightly composed songs are, but you, you do like with Lulu, especially because it is all recorded live, you do get a sense of how Metallica play the instruments and like the little um, subtleties of how, you know, the song Dragon track nine is like pretty much one riff for the whole song. It's just going, but they do play it with some variation. Kirk adds little things. They have harmonics and stuff. And um, I think that, um, I think that with Lou Reed, the, there are stories of how he had been planning this album for years, or at least he had the the lyrics. I'm not sure if he had ever written them over music or anything, but they existed in some form. And so I imagine Metallica like came in with their own riffs and their own ideas of what the song should be and stuff. But um, the yeah, the story is that apparently Lou Reed was quite standoffish because... Uh, having been in the music industry for decades, he had seen a lot of people like who wanted to use him or exploit him for a certain purpose. And so the story goes that um, when he and Metallica jammed at the rock and roll hall of fame, 25th anniversary, um, he like let his guard down. And in doing that, they found themselves to be kindred spirits. So I think Reed must have, looked at Metallica and gone, oh, these guys are like the perfect vehicle for this vision. Um, mm-hmm. He tells them what to do, but he also doesn't have to like build a band from scratch and create a dynamic that doesn't right. already exist. They're experienced musicians right. who know how to talk to each other and listen, um, which is especially important for James because him not being the lead vocalist on this album, I think was very freeing for him. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, like a, I think a big factor in this album is just the the physical stamina of playing some of these songs, especially Pumping Blood and Mistress Dread that have like the more thrashy mm-hmm. parts. You can really feel um, the effort that goes into it, I think. I agree. Yeah. So let's break it down a little bit more. We've mentioned some of the songs. Let's go track by track, even we do not spend a lot of time on it. So the album starts with Brandon Brigade. And all I have to say is, I would cut my legs and tits off, Richard. When I think of Boris Karloff. I mean, what a way to start an album. It it, it starts with like that kind of uh, acoustic strumming, that opening lyric, and then Metallica kicks in with more rambling Lou Reed poetry and Hatfield's going over and over again, small town girl. Don't stop believing. (laughs) (laughs) In some of the lyrics, like one of the ones that stood out to me was, I was feeling snappy. Perhaps I'd been napping. 
like he's yeah. kind of going back into that old time period of when it's supposed to be taking place. But I'm just imagining, you know, Metallica fans that go master master like myself. And now they're going napping, <laughs> you know, master of napping. the, the, yes, the, uh, let's the confusing, of uh, the confusement. Is that a word? A confusement? Confusion. Hmm. Confusement. <laughs> From hard. Uh, anyways, uh, the confusion set in. Why did I say confusement? Why could I not think of the word confusion? It must be because I'm a podcast professional, Indeed. Richard. <laughs> so thoughts on this song? It's, it's an intro with all the subtlety of a hammer, let's say. Because, <clears throat> yeah, it opens with... <laughs> that acoustic um it's almost too happy and too bright like the opening of fight fire with fire um and then lurid comes in and then you get the hammering c power chord and then hetfield with the small town girl and um it's it's a very disorienting opening i would say like sonically but also lyrically because one of the things about this album is there are a lot of like perspective shifts in the narration and so i guess if you know the source material really really well you can identify who's who but reed just sounds like himself and so he's embodying these characters and um i'm pretty sure in this song it is the character of lulu a small town girl who um yes interesting wants to give life a whirl yeah (laughs) interestingly um i think she her character is like said in the late 1800s or something but you have Lou Reed res- referencing like Boris Karloff and King Kinski in these 20th century yes. figures, yeah. which is interesting. So you get the sense that you're out of time. You're kind of displaced because if you're a Lou Reed fan, you're like, what's this Metallica band? And if you're a Metallica fan, what's <laughs> yeah. who's this narrator? What's he rambling about? But And you have this yeah. elderly man saying over and over again, I'm just a small town girl. Yeah. So we're not understanding the story. You're like, Okay, so this old guy's a small town girl, and Hetfield's saying small town girl over and over again. Yeah. And the and the riff too is not like there are some tight riffs on this record. This is not one of those just kind of like loose jingly power chords and it, it's not I, to me it's not the usual tightness you hear from Metallica, at least on record. No, definitely not. But I think that it, overall, you get the impression that you should get from this song, I guess. I can't say that like yeah. it should be any different because it kind of just is like all of this album. Um, if you if it helps you lock into the theme of the album, then good. If you're like, what the fuck, then that's also appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I literally wrote in my notes for the song, sets the tone for the rest of the album with theme and performance. Yeah. And I and I you know I think elsewhere on the album it gets weirder mm. and gets more out there at times, uh, definitely gets darker, um, but yeah it definitely the if you can wrap your head around this opening track, you will have an easier time wrapping your head around the rest of the album. But there are people and again on both sides Metallica and Lou Reed fans. Who said like they could not make it past the first forty five seconds? Totally. Um, so if this song was too much, the rest of it definitely will be 
too much. <laughs> I think that um, if you go into Spotify, this song has the most streams, I think, by far. It's like 385,000 yeah. or something. Um, even yeah. more than The View, actually, which, yeah, suggests to me that people are putting on this album as a gag or out of curio- genuine curiosity and, yeah, turning it off. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that is a very safe assumption. Um, I mean, the, anything else on Brandon Ware Gate before we go on to the first single, The View? I think it establishes that Hetfield's role as a narrator is very confusing. Because uh, you know, yeah. in the in the room, he's like, "Yeah, I'm backing up my idol Lou Reed. I'm a cheerleader or whatever." But from our perspective as a listener, it's like you have Lou the narrator and Hetfield as this detached voice coming out of nowhere, but who's yeah. also completely upfront in the vocals and try almost trying yeah. to pull it back to Master of Puppets. yeah 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 it is it is definitely you know it it creates a kind of a level of comfort if you're a metallica fan but adds to the confusion or confusement some might say yeah (laughs) there is a um there is a what what's it called like um well, yeah, when you mispronounce a word or whatever, but Lou Reed describes something as a passionateless wave later on. So you're in the right ballpark. <laughs> I think that's what it was. I've just been listening to this too much this week, and it's all, yeah. you know, my language is going to be uh, kind of snappy, and I might have to take a nappy. <laughs> yep. So we already kind of touched upon the view, the first single. I mean, the, the most infamous part of this song for metallica fans anyways is i am the table which created tons and tons of memes and perhaps rightfully so um i mean all the memes are hilarious i'm not going to deny that um it definitely does make more sense in context of the album it's just a matter of if you care enough to have it make context for you personally um but, you know, I think, like I said before, it has sort of an uncharacteristic, doomy riff. Um, I, I cannot think of too many times on a on a uh, actual Metallica album where they slow it down that much. Not, But then it picks up in intensity. And But I do agree with what you said before. When you get into the signature Hatfield bark, I think his vocals sound great. They do, yeah. I, 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 but it, they're a little bit... Uh, it, it kind of creates a more jarring experience because it, it because of the the lyrics he's delivering, but also because we just you know we started with Lou Reed and it and those vocals are really just colliding and clashing. But maybe that's intentional. Maybe that's part of the the harsh experience, or maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. I think regardless of the intent it just is what it is um and you you like it or you don't you know it's hard to say that yeah it should be any other way um apparently the table that james is referring to is the table on which jesus and his disciples ate the last supper so i i also am not entirely sure how to connect that to the rest of the song but uh well james says <laughs> well, i am I think the, this is i am the 10 stories which i think refers to the 10 commandments yeah um but yeah a, a recurring theme on this album is lou 
saying a lot of things that read like beat poetry where you kind of can yeah. sit down and analyze the meaning and the images if you want to, but not really in real time. You have to like read it and almost take notes um, if you really want to analyze it on that level. But you can kind of just let it wash over you and experience it and be baffled. I mean, if you if you want to read into it, I think there is a lot that lines up with the religious overtones because after you get I Am the Tablet, These Ten Stories, Lou Reed goes, Worship, worship, pain and evil have their place sitting here beside me. I offer them to you as servants of the gold that you must give. Mm. Um, I want to see your suicide... I want to see you give it up like some form of sacrifice or perhaps as reference to crucifixion. If you want to get really into it um, for worship of someone who actively despises you. And it, the story of Lulu is she's a prostitute. Mm. So, you know, it could be a reference to, Man, I never thought I'd be analyzing these lyrics in this podcast. <laughs> it, could, it could be a reference to somebody, uh, uh, to you know, to basically Jesus looking down at this prostitute, mm. being like, "I despise you, despise what you do, but you worship and look up to me." Or even the other way around, like um, just people in general uh, giving money to or buying into politicians who don't care about them, or something like that, you know? right? Yeah. yeah. It's um that I think the really fascinating lyrics throughout it's just that the delivery is odd but that also adds another dimension. Yeah. The, I mean, I think that's the thing about this album as a whole is that I think musically I find it interesting. Lyrically I find it interesting. Mm. Um I think there are good, again, bad and ugly moments, but I throughout find it interesting, but it, sometimes it's the delivery that I think is the jarring part yeah. of it or the confusing part of it. Um, I, I will say that I think Brandenburg Gate and The View together are a good like one-two punch of sort of what to expect, but in my opinion, the third song, Pumping Blood, is when they kind of go full yeah. in and i actually do i will say i legitimately like this song mm. um i remember when this album came out this was one of the songs that stood out to me i love the riffs in it um you know i i will never uh you know it who's not gonna love a song about murder and jack the ripper that's pretty metal yeah and uh it, i just think it's really evil sounding i love when the metallica falls away and we get the the play between uh lou's vocals and lars's drums um only for it to kind of slowly build back up and it builds and builds an in intensity till it kind of just there's nowhere else for it to go um i i think i i i do enjoy this song i have to say i think that build has a bit of an all within my hands vibe to it um yeah yeah except in, yeah totally yeah except in standard tuning so it's a little bit more classic metallica in that sense um mm -hmm. so i think this yeah the song is from the perspective of lulu being murdered by or attempted to murder by jack the ripper something like that so again yeah. 
uh chronologically this album's all over the place but it's um (laughs) (laughs) so you have lulu um herself yelling in fear but also kind of like beckoning jack the ripper to murder her or something um yeah i mean in one of the most uh jarring uh lyrics and in, this is a Lou Reed lyric do not cancel me on this yeah. um and i think Lou Reed's the only old white man that could get away with this lyric <laughs> i will swallow your sharpest cutter like a colored man's dick hmm. i that lyric always stands out to me because i'm like wait did he just say colored man's dick he did he did i i i'm looking at it yep he, he said it <laughs> And that page is splattered with blood. Yes, it is. Um, I I think this song has a bit of like uh, an American psycho type vibe to me in that the violence is, um, it's both very graphic and not necessarily literal, I guess. Like if you watch a, a movie version of this, you don't want to or need to see like the actual like murder take place in grisly detail. It's kind of a, a metaphor yeah. for, I guess, Lu- Lulu's self-loathing enables her to be murdered and to accept this violence from the men in her life, I think. So hence, yeah. she will sw- swallow the sharpest cutter like a colored man's dick. <laughs> 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 um, and it also, I, lyrically, and I'll, I'll use this as an excuse to bring up one of my favorite artists, Nick Cave, yeah. Lyrically, it reminds me a lot of a Nick Cave song, actually. I, I could totally. picture the lyrics with different music on murder ballads. Um, I, I, I feel like that could and maybe should happen, actually. Yeah, you, you're right. Nick Cave is probably like the best predecessor for this album that exists, I think. In some ways, yeah. Yeah, even though he the Bad Seeds have never played like Metallica do on this album, but... They serve a similar role. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of the bad seeds is just kind of setting the tone, kind of, you know, you get like the bass line and then the layers build on that and weave in and out of his vocals. So there are definite songs and moments where I feel like they kind of capture that essence here. Mm. Um, anything else for Pumping Blood? Uh, no, but just on a an unrelated tangent, I always wanted to hear a mashup between... Yeah. Ride the Lightning and The Mercy Seat by Nick Cave since they're kind of about the same thing. <laughs> and hey, James Hetfield is a massive Nick Cave fan, yeah. so make it happen. Absolutely. Make it happen. <laughs> Mistress Dread. Now, I got to say, this is a song that I slept on. Yep. I, it did not stand out to me at all when I first heard it. It was, uh, it's such a weird juxtaposition. Um, of uh, Lou Reed's vocals are perhaps at its most droning um, while Metallica plays their most furious thrash riff since Kill 'Em All. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Man. And it's like, what? The song is what? Like eight minutes long or something like that? And it's pretty much the same thrash riff throughout. Not, not entirely, but almost. And I'm like, geez, this is like if if that riff was constructed into a Metallica song, like a traditional Metallica song, people would be shitting themselves with excitement. 
Yeah. Um, it's faster than hardwired. Mm. It's faster than spit out the bone. Just to reference a couple of the more recent thrashy songs, but I understand it's a big butt. Lou Reed it has the drowning vocals over it. Um, and it's just sort of, this is kind of an example of a song that to me seems kind of like a meandering jam compositionally. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it didn't stand out to me on the album until this listen, because after pumping Same. blood, like it's, it's similar to pumping blood, but maybe not as obvious. Like it opens with this ambient drone thing that is like a recurring theme on this album. Like there are other musicians who provide yeah. electronics and strings and stuff and they contribute a lot. Yes. Actually. But, um, yeah, especially at the intros, yeah, they kind of provide this kind of ambient, uh, layer for Lou Reed and Metallica to build on. And I was going to say what this reminds me of most is actually damaging, like with the ambient style intro it's almost mm. like damaging without vocals um and like even without even when they're playing the thrash riffs i think there's some like string backing in the air or yeah something. um mm-hmm. yeah this is maybe my favorite song on the album i find it genuinely quite haunting because here's um lou reed again from the perspective of lulu saying i'm a woman who likes men but this is something else I've never felt such stirrings. I feel like I was someone else. I wish you could tie me up and beat me, crush me like a kick, a bleeding strap across my back, some blood that you could kiss. So uh, that's a pretty uh, disconcerting feeling to have <laughs> when you meet a man and want to be dominated by him very violently. And I guess the question is, um, the question of this whole album is, why do we have that impulse? Why do we want that from people? Like not just in like abusive relationships, but throughout our life, you know, this darkness exists. Why? I'm not sure what you're talking about in terms of um, graphic sexuality though, in this song um, in explicitness um, with lyrics like, but I opened the sticks sticky legs i bear and then insert a fist an arm some lost appendage please open me i beg mm. you are my goliath and i am mistress dread um uh, up, up until the mistress dread part i was like is this a cannibal corpse song <laughs> totally yeah <laughs> i think yeah the velvet underground have had like bdsm themes throughout and I, yeah again, i don't know what their relationship to that was in the real lives or whatever but um right yeah they're inspired by the marquis de Sade, and so this is basically that and um it's something where you could not this song doesn't make sense as like spoken word poetry or an acoustic song or whatever like in order to realize the emotions that lou is talking about you need to have that physicality and that to me is what mm-hmm. metallica do perfectly in this like they even the way they change up the um they go from like regular time to double time throughout it's quite jarring they they're just playing the riff and then they go into um there's almost like a randomness to it that just adds to the chaos 
that I really like. Yeah. But that was definitely one I slept on for basically all these years till this week. And when I released the album, I was like, oh, uh, that that's when I came to the realization, like, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm liking something. Yeah. I'm liking something off this album. Uh-oh. My opinion's changing. Uh-oh. I think this is the exact point of the album where, like, you're in or you're out. Well, that that and, you know, 30 seconds into Brandon and Gate, but really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this point in the album, you know exactly what to expect. Like, there's really not too many more surprises ahead. So if you've made it this far... There's no reason why you cannot plow ahead and finish the rec- the rest of the record, I feel like. I'm also going to say, if you haven't heard it, uh, the album in full, or are curious and you want to jump in somewhere, maybe jump in on this track by itself. See what you think. Yeah. I, if you just... if I guarantee you, and I know this is easier said than done, if you are a Metallica fan, if you are a fan of thrash metal and you put this track on and all you listen to is that riff, you will bang your fucking head off. Yep. But there's more. But there is more and you have to block it all out. <laughs> <laughs> or learn to love it. <laughs> or learn to love it. One of the two. Our next song now is, you mentioned before, as uh, something, and I agree with you, something that could have been perhaps a better lead single choice just because I think it's the most conventional straightforward song musically on this album. And I think it's one that, uh, uh, you know, uh, along with the view and junior dad, which we'll get to seems to kind of be like one of the three songs that stands out to people who have never really heard this album before, because maybe it's a bit more conventional, uh, but that being iced honey. Mm. Um, this is one that, the two even played on later with Jules Holland on the BBC in the UK. Yeah. Um, I think that was their only late night performance, but well, yeah. One thing I always forget about this album is that they actually performed quite a lot of it live. Um, yeah. There, there was a handful of stuff that they performed live at uh, the 30th anniversary shows too. Oh yeah. They did some Lulu stuff because they were doing, you know, different set, different guest artists every single night and they had Lou Reed come out and they did uh I think they might have done they I, I gotta go back and revisit they might have done like Sweet Jane which they did at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concerts but they definitely did one or two Lulu songs too yeah. they did a few songs with them and actually I know that Lou Reed when he was touring after this album actually played some Lulu songs like with his own band which I haven't checked out but yeah. I really, I'm curious how he pulled it off yeah I need to hear that because I did not know that until today. Yeah. Um, and it came across a Lou Reed discord. Somebody who said that he saw him perform one of his final shows and there was Lulu material in there. And he said it sounded just as just at home with the rest of his stuff. Um, but I, I'm very interested to see what was performed and how it came across because Metallica obviously has such a unique signature sound that's hard to duplicate that I wonder if they even tried or they just kind of put their own spin on it because yeah. he no doubt has phenomenal musicians like world-class musicians backing him up so yeah or maybe he doesn't because yeah as I said before there was um uh I think there was someone who had worked with Lou Reed who had said Lou was so standoffish that often he would just get like regular session musicians um 
It's kind of yeah. like, I think Little Richard would do the same thing. Like, Little Richard would just, in his later years, he'd just go around from town to town and just hire, like, almost randoms to play the music. Hmm. Just, like, do do what you want, and I'll just sing over it, which is, um, yeah, weird. But I um, pulled up Lou Reed's final live performance set list, and there's... um. There are four Lulu songs on it. Brandenburg Gate, The View, Mistress Dread, and Junior Dad. So He did Mistress Dread, yeah. huh? So with that massive thrash riff with his own band, I need to hear yeah, that. Yeah. I really do. It's got to be on YouTube or something somewhere. I'm going to check it out when we're done really? recording. Um, coming back to the song, though, it, it yeah. kind of feels like a pop, an attempt at a pop single it has that recognizable chord progression that's going da na na na, um, and it has Lou and Hetfield going over and over Ice Tony, which I I never knew what that meant until yesterday, and I possibly still don't know what it means. But I have no clue what it means. So please uh, share your wisdom. Th- this is my interpretation, right? So. Verse three, Lou says, if I can't trap a butterfly or a bee, if I can't keep my heart where I want it to be, if no matter how much soul and heart I put to the wood, if a flaming heart is not that good, iced honey, which seems like a non sequitur. I I almost wonder if he means frozen honey, not iced honey. Because it has me thinking about the idea of being trapped in amber, like insects that got frozen in the age of the dinosaurs and that still exist now in amber, like preserved perfectly. And I wonder if he's talking yeah. about the idea of a heart, like a heart that's frozen over or that like is honey, something that's alive and organic, but just frozen and can't, you can't do anything with it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't think he means drinking a drink with honey in it and ice. <laughs> that is always what I think of. That's my first yeah. impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I don't. I did not have too much to add for this song, to be honest with you, because I do think it is one of the. Um, it perhaps is one of the. You know, from a traditional standpoint, some might say one of the better songs on the album, but I find it uh, perhaps the least interesting song on the album. Yeah, I I would agree with that. It's kind of in the vein of the jam at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think this song is, again, it's that theme of, um, wanting to talk about or explore love openly, but just not being able to like, it's kind of a love song, but it talks around the word love and I don't think it uses it, but they end by saying, see if the ice will melt for you. Um, not, not saying, see if the ice will melt for you. They're not saying melt my ice or I want to melt your ice or will the ice melt, but see if the ice will melt for you almost in like an uncaring way, you know? It's like the narrator right, is just yeah. uncaring and cold and apathetic, but maybe, maybe they'll open up. <laughs> that was beautiful, Richard. That was beautiful. Didn't know I had it in me. Until, until uh, <laughs> <hours ago. laughs> well, you know, Lulu 
pushed Metallica in some new freeing directions. And I think reviewing and breaking down Lulu is pushing us in some new exciting podcast directions, Richard. It's like we did it again 10 times in a row. <laughs> oh, this is far better than we did you it again. Ja- yeah, <laughs> we did it. Ja Rule was the Louder! Read to <laughs> Actually, no, Marianne Faithful was the first. Oh, God. That's true. Think about that list. They they have a very limited list of people they've collaborated with. And, and the list includes Marianne Faithful, who is a yeah. legend, Lou Reed, who's a legend among legends, and then Ja Rule. One of these things is not like the It was the part other. of the legend of the fire festival in that it never happened. That 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 is true. That is true. Oof. Cheat on me. Cheat on me. So this is a song. This is a along with Pumping Blood, one of the songs that I actually did like a lot when I first heard the album and was one of the songs that I would uh revisit in my annual listening of a few of the songs. This would always be one of the few. And we mentioned before how uh, you know, there's these drones and this ambience that uh, go weaves in and out of a lot of these tracks or starts a lot of these tracks, and then the band and Lou Reed they kind of layer on top of it. And I think this is perhaps the best example of it, where it's just you have all these tones, instruments weaving in and building in with ambience, but then they slowly start making more of like a traditional progression and then it kind of slowly kind of pieces together like oh wait now this is a song this now this is actually like a song that's happening in real um, time. and i and i always in real time and i've always found that as a musician such a fascinating way to start something because i'm not sh- I, I i at least in uh I mean, I know it definitely does not happen on a Metallica record, and it's hard in the moment. I cannot think of like another uh, rock example of kind of something similar, where it's just this ambience that gradually pieces together to form this actual song that's happening with a drum yeah. beat, bass line, all the a melody, all these basic fundamentals of music. It's I'll give you two reference points. Like in one sense, it's jazz because that's what jazz is. Um, you don't. Yeah. I, there aren't a lot of bands that do like full free improv in that style. There's one called The Next, I think, who like every performance is completely original and they're a trio. Um, but the other reference is 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 post rock. It's bands like Sigur Rós, uh, Mono, Godspeed You, Black Emperor, yeah. Explosions in the Sky, who have that very clear dynamic of start ambient string drones build 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 rhythms um drums get chaotic mm-hmm. and bursts of extended like beauty and violence and stuff but post-rock bands are very composed as well like often the rises and falls are very predictable and um it's like you start the song and you know exactly where it's going to go and how it's going to end over 20 minutes this is a bit more yeah a bit more unpredictable i guess jarring um like yeah I counted that there's um so it starts with just droning strings and lou saying why do you cheat on me and um it's a full three no sorry um it starts with just strings and i think it's three minutes until the vocals enter i think if, if i recall they add in 
the strings, but then they slowly add in the band yeah. and Lou. But the vocals, but the vocals, I believe, come in later. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So yeah, this would be the most traditionally Lou Reed recognizable song, I would say. Um, it's very yeah. straightforward, which is a bit of an exception, but. Why do you cheat on me? Why do I cheat on thee? Why do I cheat on me? Which has a bit of some kind of monster to it, I guess. I was literally just going to say, out of all the lyrics in the album, these are the most hefty of the lyrics. Where I I feel like these, when you trace it thematically, you look at like the Unforgiven trilogy, mm. right? Or um, I I just feel like there's all these examples of when he's looking inside and and asking questions right and why do i cheat on me it seems like such a classic heffield's line um and there was something about the this song and i i cannot pinpoint it maybe it's just the vibe and i and i know there's a bunch of people out there they're gonna roll their eyes they're gonna say blasphemy there's something about this song that always reminded me of Bleeding Me. Hmm. And maybe it's just the overall kind of vibe or uh, how when Hatfield enters some of maybe his vocal delivery or something. There's there, there's something there that always reminded me of uh, Bleeding they're Me. Both, uh, they're both maybe, epics, for sure. Well, I think that's part of it. And maybe it's just I feel like there's a vulnerability there, hmm. too, where, uh, you know... It, this vocal delivery from Hatfield is far from clean. There's like some cracks here or there. It's kind of like a, uh, a St. Anger vocal performance where he might, you know, he might be a little pitchy at times and they just left it in there. But with the vulnerability that he would have captured on like a load or reload with some of those, uh, more personal songs. Totally. Um, this more than anything, I would love to hear a solo Hatfield's version of, Imagine this song arranged for like one of their acoustic totally. shows. Like I could totally 100% picture that and I think it would be brilliant. Mm. So lyrics, lyrics, lyrics. Um, this one again is very... You're in the mindset of Lulu exploring why she feels nothing, I guess. Um, yeah. I have a passionate heart. It can tear us apart. I have the loves of many men, but I don't love any of them. Why do I cheat on me? Mm. I think, yeah, there are a lot of images that I love in this song. Like, um, your love means zero to me. I'm a passionateless wave upon the sea. Um, and the climax of the song, Lou says, I'm only young once. I want to taste it all and have fun. I have no real feelings in my soul. Where most have passion, I got a hole. What else is there to say, you know? <laughs> why do i cheat on me why do i cheat on me wait you do i'll be hatfield you be yeah. reed you ready one two ready and why do I why cheat? do i cheat on me why do i cheat on me <laughs> <laughs> wow and that brings us to the epic conclusion of lulu this one we have a whole other disc to go yeah i, I will add two other quick things um so yeah, I really uh, enjoy Lars's drumming throughout this album. Um, it feels very organic. He's like kind of doing his thing, but he's very much responding to the music as he always does, I guess. But um, 
I notice I don't really like the clickiness yeah. of his kick drum. This is a very specific criticism, but I think since Death Magnetic, <laughs> his kick drum has it. You don't get the bassiness of it. There's a kind of a click, like a slap to it, that I find a bit weird in this context because yeah. it doesn't sound organic. But I can add on that. I can tell you from invading enemy territory. No, from going on the Lou Reed groups and having conversations with them. There were several criticisms about Lars mm. Ulrich. Um, not because even they felt he... Um, I mean, some people were like, oh, he's a bad drummer. Um, so I guess you get that complaint mm. everywhere. But uh, he, but a lot of the criticisms were about uh, how he was not... He's not the most like subtle drummer and how he attacks the drums and it's like well yeah if you if you tap the snare drum it'll still sound like the loudest snare drum in the world um and that's just his drum set and they did not edit the drum set and he has a heavy hand because he plays in metallica and it's what he knows um so i think you know not that it's not a valid criticism Mm. um but uh uh, it, there's definitely a hard attack, but obviously that's what Lou Reed wanted. Otherwise, he would have told them to play softer. I think so. that the weird thing about this album is that they they do find subtlety within their lack of subtlety, if that makes sense. Otherwise, yeah. like you'd be bored by it, but I'm not bored by this album ever. I was honestly as a, uh, I was pretty impressed with a lot of the drawing yeah. in it because he is usually such a restricted drummer and in terms of like he restricts himself he you know he he plays very much in the pocket he does not ever try to do anything fancy he always does what he feels is best for the song um and i don't and, and i think that is no exception here but he's given more freedom to kind of let loose and kind of have mini drum solos mm-hmm. and do more fills and he he can he he it's the same style playing, but he's allowed to be freer and looser with it than he would be in a traditional Metallica record because the songs just do not call yeah. for it. Yeah, and I really, really appreciate that. I just wish he had a ride symbol sometimes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I swear the last time he played one was on I think Disposable Heroes. <laughs> yeah. That's my bit of Metallica trivia. It's the one I'm pretty sure the one part on that album where he plays a ride symbol and then never again is um the breakdown of <laughs> any other thoughts on why do you cheat why do i cheat on i me? think the way they invert <laughs> why do i cheat why do i cheat on me the the way they invert the last riff is really cool I, it's a very metallica thing to like take a riff yeah. and turn on its head yeah agreed now we move on to the second half of the album with frustration um, i will say i do think as a whole the i the first half of the record is stronger to me than the second half of the record but i think there are more interesting musical moments that happen throughout the second half i yeah i think the first disc has more variety i guess and when you hear the second disc it's sort of yeah. like the fate is sealed and you know where the conclusion is heading. But I think the, yeah. the second disc is like, they're the more conventionally Lou Reed songs probably compared to the first. Yeah. I would probably agree with that. There, I think this is where 
the the a lot of the songs become even more repetitive yeah, in a way um but without the links being um at all trimmed <laughs> so it can be a it can be a very um challenging listening experience for especially if you're not sure what you're getting into um but i you know we were just talking about the drumming and there is a part about the midway part in frustration that i really love and it kind of is an example of sort of what i mentioned before where the band just sort of breaks apart and we enter a real ambient section and jane uh, sorry lars is just kind of able to be free around uh lose vocals and i and i and i found myself really enjoying that just because uh i thought it was well done it was just kind of what as a metallica fan you do not expect from totally more more of that please i will say yeah um well and and that's when i kind of flash back like to the echo chamber that i mentioned before i was mm -hmm. like i feel like this is what they were trying to accomplish on that before Torben said, delete that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, just, yeah, I think Lou Reed is able to bring that out in them more, at least be that canvas. They're like each other's canvas in that sense. You know, exactly. this song, I never find that memorable, maybe because it has a very similar chord pattern to Ice Honey. I think they both have an F minor to C major progression that um, just sticks out. But um, this one is interesting because I think I'm pretty sure it's a perspective shift to one of Lulu's suitors. Um, it's like this almost reminds me of like a Lars von Trier movie or something. It's a very like painful portrait of misogyny of like someone who's attracted to women, but kind of despises them or despises this particular one. Um, there's a line that is kind of funny but also haunting so lou says i feel the pain creep up my leg blood runs from my nose i puke my guts out at your feet you are more man than i to be dead and have no feeling to be dry and spermless like a girl yeah that was the biggest lyrical takeaway for me was spermless like a girl fact i made it a hashtag <laughs> and i think we should get it trending on twitter so follow me at metallicast pod on twitter and let's get it trending I want to wake up the morning after this episode comes out, and I want hashtag spermless <laughs> like a girl all over Twitter. Let's make it happen, Metallicast uh, Militia. I don't ask for much, especially on social media, but I'm asking for this, and you best make it happen. Hashtag spermless like wait. a girl. Um, I'm. <laughs> I cannot wait for us to be the only two uh, yeah. using the hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you pretty much four lines that to me sum up this album so this yeah again this is from the yeah. perspective of a man who is supposedly in love with the main character of them he says i want so much to hurt you marry me i want you as my wife spermless like a girl more man than i just imagine that imagine a man who wants this woman but despises himself despises her even more wants to hurt her but only respects her because she has taken all this punishment, which makes her more of a man and makes him spermless like a girl. Wild. <laughs> fr fr frustration. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of, I agree with you. It, it perfectly kind of captures 
the the general theme of this album where it's uh it goes into dark places but not for the but not dark places for the sake of just getting dark mm-hmm. and depraved like there is uh a meaning behind it and i think uh you know a message that ties in with the story of lulu uh, but it is hard to keep track of because as you mentioned before i feel like we are i mean not only are the lyrics not completely obvious not like and then lulu was walking down the street in a bike and a guy <laughs> pulled up and he said hey <laughs> suck my cutter um you know so it's not a, it's not a, it's not like black and white no. like that and uh but and but you also just the song placement seems like out of yeah. order like we are getting you know i'm not sure if it would i i don't know the answer to this so i'm interested to know the decision in the track listing if that was intentional to kind of jump around and see like the beginning middle and end at different times or to or if it was just kind of that's the best flow musically and lyrically we're not really paying attention to it because it's kind of a loose story anyway i'm gonna say i have absolutely no idea (laughs) yeah neither do i but i need to know so if you're listening and you know use hashtag spermless like a girl and let me know on twitter i think the lyric frustration is my lexicon of hate is a bit saint anger isn't it? I, I could definitely. That's another lyric that stood out to me as Hatfield could be delivering yeah. that. It, think of like, um, like the uh, I'm trying. What would what be like a g- great song to play? That maybe Saint Anger mm. itself, like in the or uh, I, I for some reason I'm going to ominous. I am in us frustration frustration by lexicon of hate. the lexicon of hate ominous i'm in us ominous us. yeah hey you do the you do the ominous yeah. part you ready three four ominous i'm in us ominous frustration ominous i'm in us lexicon ominous of hate yeah frustration <laughs> We did it. We did it. We made Lulu into St. Anger. Our lives are complete. We can end the podcast. We can end our lives, Richard. They're complete. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Follow me on social media, but I won't be posting because I'm dead now. Spermless. Thank you so much. Frustration. Ominous. I'm excited to... uh... To grow old and have an old man voice just so I can do a better impression of Lou Reed on this album. <laughs> I'd be like 17 just reading I know, like, I would, like poetry recital. I feel like I would try it, but it would just come across as insulting and not funny. It would just kind of weird mm. and creepy. I because I, I think that. it would sound more like if if I if I try like an elderly Lou Reed voice, I feel like it's gonna come across as like weird pervert guy i want to say though i think that if you take these lyrics out of context and just publish them as poetry i think they're really good like i know bad poetry oh yeah Um, i'm very familiar with it yeah (laughs) this is not bad poetry to me well i and i think lou reed is a, a great lyricist he has a lot of uh powerful imagery in his words a lot of um just originality like the way things are worded the wordplay the word choices 
Um, he just very unique. The, and I'm saying that throughout yeah. his catalog. And the rambling and repetition being quite purposeful as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely a style. And I mean, even if you listen to like, you know, I'll bring Tom Waits up again. If you listen to old Tom Waits, which was also very, some of it was very influenced by like beat poetry. It's the same thing, you know, or you listen to, uh, Nick Cave, like uh, a Nick Cave song can easily be eight minutes and he won't take like a vocal break. Mm. So I think that's why part of this album was like not too. That part of the album was not like jarring to me because I'm used to listening to music that's not verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Because um, even when you get metal songs that do not follow like the traditional song structure of like verse, chorus, there still is generally recognizable parts yeah. of like this is a, you know, this is a verse then it might go in a different direction and we have another verse but there's still kind of that song structure in place i would say black metal being the one exception to that i guess because it's more ambient more about the mood um but yeah like ambient music definitely informs my perception of this album just music and art that you know it's it kind of manipulates time you're not like counting the beats or going you need to have a hook every minute or whatever it's like time passes slightly differently when you're listening to it same with like a lot of slow cinema yeah um i've seen films with like the same shot for 20 minutes and it's infuriating and beautiful and boring and transcendent all at the same time (laughs) which is this album for sure (laughs) there's one i'll nod to this quickly because it feels appropriate but there's a film called Stray yeah. Dogs by the Taiwanese director Sai Ming Liang. And it's about um, a family who's homeless in Taiwan, I think. But it's not very literal. Um, so at one point, the father figure um, is, I think, living under a bridge or something. And he feels so ineffectual that all he can do is he gets, um, I'm pretty sure it's an entire cabbage and eats the entire cabbage dry while like crying in real time. <laughs> Just the futility of life. <laughs> not very uplifting but kind of funny but more depressing it seems like we should remake that movie with lulu as oh, absolutely soundtrack. it would work <laughs> and perhaps the most depressing song mm. on the album musically little dog um which is it's a long track um i don't let's see. i don't have the time right in front of me here but i'm looking um here. eight minutes it is eight minutes it's not the longest. In fact, it's the shortest track on side two <laughs> at eight minutes and one second. But it it's the most, the more curious uh, long song because it's very acoustic, mellow, droning, repetitive. Um, but it's interesting. It's an interesting track, I think. And actually, this was one that I definitely wrote mm. off that... Um, along with Mr. Stred, I think this one st- stood out to me this time around as like, oh, I, I'm kind of digging this for the first time. In yeah, a weird way. it's a mode that Metallica I don't think have ever really worked in, in that it's acoustic no. but very stripped down and minimal. And and that's sort of the, I think what I found so interesting about it was that it almost did not even sound like Metallica yeah. playing on the track the drums sound like um, in another room as well yeah like where, where it sounds like 
And it's the only song on the album that I can I can say that about really because every every song on this album sounds like it's Metallica mm. and Lou Reed. But if you just played me Little Dog and said it was off uh you know any other Lou Reed album, I'd be like, Oh yeah, that makes 100%. sense. I, I would I would not have any clue that Metallica has anything to do with this track. That's how different the 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 performance is on this one, which I think is why it stood out to me because it was just so unique and different. Yeah, if you're a Metallica fan, absolutely. It's um, you said it's possibly the most depressing song so far, and I think so. Like maybe it gets more uplifting from here. I don't know, but yeah, it's about a little dog who can't get in. Moaning at the bedside, moaning from each limb, can only cry but cannot swim. Uh, I would say this song is just about pity, I guess. Um, not yeah. super literal, I guess, but also a lot of detail about a small dog that the narrator seems to feel pity for. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because I feel like when you look at the lyrics, there are lyrics that Hetfield would yeah. not write. It's hard to picture him singing the song. I mean, he he has no vocals on this track. But like when you look at a puny body and a tiny dick, a little dog can make you sick. If you got the money, you can go to the top. The female dog don't care what you got. As long as you can raise that little doggy face to a cold-hearted pussy, you could have a taste. It's hard to imagine Hatfield ever singing that, never mind writing mm. that. But yet, there is a theme there that is totally yes. Hatfield. And, uh, and like, the instantly the dog imagery reminds me of Low Man's mm. lyric. The the mood reminds me of Low Man's lyric. I was going to say My Friend of Misery. Um, like, I can actually. picture, yeah. yeah, or My Friend of Misery, too, totally. Like, it, it totally taps into something that is James Hetfield. It's just done in a way that he would not do it. Yeah. Speaking of Hetfield, I I don't think he sings on any of the second disc, actually. Yeah. No. It's uh, it's interesting because I feel like, like you said, the first half of the album definitely has more variety where you have um, kind of like, you know, it starts with kind of a jangly rocker in brandenburg gate you get into the darkness of pumping blood the thrash ferocity of mistress dread the more conventional of uh a pop songness almost of iced honey and then you end with like the moody epicness of cheat on me but here on the second half you have no vocals except lou reed uh, so and it, there's parts that just sounds less and less like Metallica. Mm. I mean, do not get me wrong; it still sounds like Metallica's playing on the album, but it's just the band's getting more and more stripped yep. away, um, and it's becoming more and more Lou Reedified. Yeah. I'll say, um, and it's sounding more and more like a Lou Reed record, especially you know, like we said, you get to Little Dog. To me, musically, there's no trace of Metallica mm. on this track. Absolutely. It's it's easier to get into the Lulu headspace, I think, on the second disc. Just I guess if you're a Metallica fan, you're right. Like there's maybe a little bit less to hook you in that sense. But I don't know if yeah, I, I don't know if you need that. I mean, if you're a Metallica fan, I don't know. You just you may just be confounded anyway. 
you, you have to accept the Lou Reedness of it at some point. And if you've made it this far, you you've I you already have, or you're literally yeah. torturing yourself because this is unmitigated <laughs> torture. If you are not, if you've made it this far to the album and you've not accepted it for Absolutely. what it is, it's about torture, and it can be torturous. Yeah, but I've grown to enjoy. Listen, it. and others just sniff your shit in the wind and follow me around, little dog. Now I will say the next track is not one that stood out to me when I first listened to when I re-listened also did not really stand out to me I, but I've heard other people really rave who like the sound really rave mm-hmm. about Dragon this song is just not it, it just has not clicked on for me yet. first listen I would say this was my second favorite track because I heard what Metallica were doing across the rest of the album in terms of repeating a riff over and over again until it uh, you know derives more meaning or acquires more meaning but to me on dragon that is the best example of that that really the riff is just yeah. da, 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 and it drones on and on and on but they really lock into that groove and the variations and stuff um yeah i i always said that the two best songs or like the two most conventionally good songs were the last two tracks being the last 30 minutes of a 90 minute album that most people will never get to. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I have a read on this song yet. Let me have a look through the lyrics. Um, Hallucination. It's like yeah. kind of the refrain, right? So you have, you don't really, you don't actually care. Love for you is no beginning. You're not really there. Hallucination. I thought you were listening, hallucination. I thought you were listening, hallucination. And it kind of goes on in that vein. I understand you think you're above it. The adolescent sense of the sky. The feeling of billowing heartbeats. The fingertips run through your hair. They run through your hair. Hallucination. Hallucination. Now, maybe I'm a (laughs) dum-dum. I I cannot understand... Do you like my use of the word dum-dum? I cannot understand where dragon comes from. What am I missing here, Richard? Can we figure that out together? All right, let me think. So I think this is a song about, um, like, about one of Lulu's clients, or it feels like a breakup song from the perspective of one of the men who desires her, um, her body and is also somewhat repulsed by it, but um, feels used and... So it's like a competition to break up with each other or despise or reject each other the most. Um, Dragon. I don't, I don't know, but what, what this makes me think of is Red Dragon, the Hannibal book and movie and the TV show where um, it's all about yeah. um, the killer. I'm forgetting his name, but he's obsessed with this William Blake painting called the Red great dragon and the woman closed with sun um which there, there are a few versions of it but the most famous one is like a person who looks to have become a physical dragon and it's terrifying and it's an image from the book of revelation and i guess that's what it makes me think of like someone who's pathetic but also envisions themselves as this great dragon like the embodiment of their hatred towards someone makes them feel majestic How's that? <laughs> I 
could not have said it better myself. Hence, I did not even try. <laughs> um, musically, there's some cool stuff. Like, there's both guitar solos. I think are amazing. Like the the first one just sounds like Kirk, like wobbling the guitar, and it's very Kirk Cobain, very Nirvana, but it's crazy. Really, only the you know I'll use solos and quotations, but really, kind of the only example of. Uh, kind of guitar solo that seeps through on yeah. on this record. There is, in fact, I remember seeing, I remember reading that was like a rule that we had, like Kirk, you are not solo <laughs> on this record. Okay. Like he, like he did not want like that. I think because he did not want like yeah, that rock star kind of solo, and unless if it, you know it actually called for it, he did not want it to just be like. A force thing, but I remember reading. You know, Kirk had to kind of force himself to be like, "All right, I'm a rhythm guitarist on this one." You know, like, and and, and similar to Hatfield, be kind of more of a a, yeah. a bystander. In a I, lot I think that there are quite a few textured like lead guitar parts throughout that I really like. That I assume I had uh, Hammett. Sorry, yeah. Um, but. Oh, another thing I noticed was that the drums end on something like that sounds like the verses of the thing that should not be. They're like, but like a very soft version of that. I do like the variations of the riffs. It is like kind of a classic Metallica move. Um, and that and that does keep things interesting as you go along. But this, I'm not sure. Maybe I was. Maybe I was feeling yeah, exhausted yeah. at this point since we're, you know, where I'm just like, cause this is an album. And again, I'll make a, some, uh, a comparison to St. Anger where like St. Anger. And I like that album. I like St. Anger, you know that, but it's an exhausting yeah. album. It is just like when you listen to from start to finish, by the time you get to all within my hands, you're like, what, what the mm. hell just happened? It is, you know, it is an exhausting album to sit through for, uh, and Lulu even more so because you're going through, it, it's not, it, it, like you said before, at least St. Anger has that kind of traditional Metallica mm. feel, whereas this is way more yeah. left field. Um, and where St. Anger ends in an explosion of violence, this album has the opposite really. And I, and I think too, if, uh. If you're feeling exhausted, mm. that last song picks you up. I think it it, it is uh, a 20 minute yeah. highlight on this record. It is, um, I think, the most talked about song on from Metallica fans in terms of people like, well, I like that one song. Um, and I noticed on um, from Lou Reed fans, and I, I want to get into more of what they were saying too, but. Um, you know, the general gist of was like, this is like late career mm. Lou Reed, uh, which they judge differently than, you know, other parts of his career as most, as you do with most musicians. Cause generally you're not putting out your best work when you're 80 years old. Mm. Sometimes you are, but not always, but they consider junior dad, like his final mm. masterpiece his final, like a, a, a late career highlight that even if you do not like this album, you generally as a Lou Reed fan agree that junior dad 
is worth listening because that song is 100%. beautiful. Yeah, like, and that also seems to be a similar opinion that Metallica yeah. fans have. It's the most melodic backing on the album, if not the most melodic vocal. I, I would say yes to totally. both those things. It is definitely hands down the most melodic yeah. thing on this record. And and from that standpoint, the most traditional way, because you know, when you listen to any pop song, the melody is what gets stuck in your head. And so this is kind of the only song that to a certain extent you can kind of yeah. sing along with. <laughs> Other than girl, small town girl, yeah. um, this this song is not super recognizably Metallica to me. It's partly because they're playing in like C tuning, which they don't do very often. It um it reminds me of Devin Townsend a lot, actually. He plays almost exclusively in open C, so has that kind of floating feel. It's funny when they start playing. It reminds me a little bit of the Unforgiven Three, mm. but then it kind of like carries on and gets uh, uh, and goes in kind of a, a different direction, yeah. where it becomes a little bit unrecognizable again. But then it starts the the phrase starts new, and you're like, oh yeah, this sounds familiar. Sounds like the Unforgiven Three, and then it goes off and then it's like oh i don't know this band anymore <laughs> then it comes back that's what it sounds like to me yeah. that makes sense. even like the beat itself kind of follows that pattern because it it's quite conventional and you can latch onto it but the time signature is like it's nine four yeah i was gonna say they, they they're adding on the extra beats there that it so it's like a it it starts traditional uh, or at least like you hear it and you're like, oh, I, I've heard this before. But then that having that mm. odd meter throws yeah, every off. phrase. Yeah, it happens every phrase. You get used to it and you have to readjust. And Lars does this little feel that dun, yeah. dun, that brings you back in, right. which is really fascinating. Lyrics, lyrics, lyrics. Um, so lyrically, the famous story of making at least James and Kirk cry um you know coming from broken homes and uh not the best uh relationships with their father i think this really hit a nerve with them um and i think the lyrics in this are uh, really excellent it's uh i don't know again what it has to do with lulu the character it almost feels like this is the um the least Lulu related song and the most autobiographical. I agree. I'll make an assumption that, uh, you know, it's not to belittle anything on the sound, but it basically boils down totally. to daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when you have a absentee father, um, and then it creates all these problems in your life of, you know, you had no direction uh, as a child. Now you're getting into drugs and prostitution. You have these daddy issues where you want men to discipline you and, uh, you know, 
except it's a more sexual yeah. depraved manner. Um, I, so I'm assuming that's sort of where it stems from, but it's interesting that that's where, uh, you know, story wise you would potentially begin. Mm. But again, album wise, we're ending on that note, but there's something that with the music that is almost uplifting yeah. and peaceful and kind of a cathartic release after the last, uh, however many songs, minutes, nine yeah. songs of just, of just pure, harsh, dark yeah. chaos. It's yeah. Um, the feeling of like being on your deathbed, I guess, and looking for peace and some kind of resolution for your life story. So I guess that's what it has in common with Lulu, the character. And she's, of course, a vehicle for Lou, yeah. uh, for Lou Reed himself, even down to the name, I guess. Um, but to bring it back to parents, yeah, um, Lou Reed, uh, I'm just looking at this Wikipedia page. Um, he ba- began experimenting with drugs at the age of 16. He was always into music and rock and roll, but um, infamously... He was treated for depression and anxiety through electroshock therapy, which his parents approved. And he always felt, I think, betrayed by that, especially by his father. Um, it's also because he believed that, um, like Reed believed that it was to dispel his feelings of homosexuality. Like he often had like queer undertones and like, trans characters Mm -hmm. in his music so again he's very much exploring that through the character of this woman lulu throughout and then he sort of lets the mask go and i guess sings most as himself here um but it, it it can almost be seen as a song from just a person to a god just looking for this kind of salvation and the promise of heaven like i think does it mention heaven in the lyrics? It doesn't. So interesting. No, but it definitely feels like that when it says, would you come to me if I was half drowning and arm above the last wave? Would you come to me? Would you pull me up? Would the effort really hurt you? Is it unfair to ask you to help pull me up? Um, that's what I think. Like asking for that guidance. Yeah. That help. And then, you know, would it actually, is it that hard for you to just come here and pull me above the crashing waves that are crashing over mm. me, my life, however deep you want yeah. to read into it, you know? But another part that stood out to me too that ties in with that is, um, pull me up, would you be my mm. Lord and Savior? Pull me up by my hair, now would you kiss me yeah. on my lips? So it's like almost she is, you know, again, going back to kind of the daddy issue thing where it's like I'm I'm looking for a father type figure with all mm. these men, except I, I'm looking for love in the wrong way. Yeah. You know, burning fever, burning on my forehead. The brain that once was listening now shoots out its tiresome message. Once you pull me up scalding, my dead father has the motor and he's driving towards an island of lost souls. That's kind of the recurring theme throughout of, would you pull me up? Would you, would you, would you, would you kiss my lips? 
um, ending with the refrain of Junior Dad, the greatest mm. disappointment. Age withered him and changed him into Junior Dad, the greatest disappointment. I think there's a clear perspective shift in the last verse. So Reed says, would you still kiss my lips? And then I'm pretty sure right after he says, hiccup, the dream is over, get the coffee, turn the lights on, which seems to be him retreating back into him fully. And um, yeah, just Junior Dad, it's a funny combination of words. It's kind of a comical combination. But the idea of um, someone who becomes his father or her father because they cannot be lifted up by their father. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, these cycles of abuse and trauma repeat themselves, um, which is something that, of course, Hetfield has sung about. Um, Like, I guess starting with Dyer's Eve, right? I think that's the first time he really explicitly sang about it, but through the Unforgiven, uh, God That Failed. I would say it starts with Dyer's Eve, I mean, where he's literally saying, Dear Mother, Dear Father what is this hell you have put me through? Um, but then the black album is when he starts looking more inner and then load reload is when he goes yeah. full in. Uh, yeah. Personal. And again, he was writing about it, but in his life, he didn't really get over it until he went to therapy uh, in rehab. And right. Um, right. And a song like bleeding me, you know, is about his, um, you know, time in therapy and kind of, working towards kind of getting over the problems he created for himself and that were uh, the root of his problems and yeah. you know, moving on. Um, and San Anger being the opposite of that in realizing that through violence and trying to create so much of it yeah. that you exercise yourself of it completely, which somewhat works, somewhat doesn't. You know, you have to live with it, but clearly the therapy worked on him. So fantastic. Right. Yeah. Love it. Um, so with this song, it's like, again, hard to read what Lou Reed's mindset was in real life. He, he seemed pretty mysterious, yeah. but, um, but that's kind of the sign of a great artist too. Yeah. Like you cannot read directly into it. It's open for interpretation. And like I've said before on this podcast, I like when there's kind of an air of mystery around, uh, a musician you know like i like he lou reed is a character right? yeah like like tom waits is a character nick cave's a character johnny cash is a character james heffield is a character and those are some of my all-time favorite musicians like i'm drawn you're drawn to those personalities those characters whether uh and when i say character i mean i think they're rooted in reality yeah but you don't get the complete picture you just get little snapshots and, you know. and they evolve over time. You know, it's very easy to stereotype them, but the great ones are not that. They're a succession yeah. of characters who change. Totally. Um, and yeah, here with Lou Reed, again, I, I don't think his earliest work deals with father issues that explicitly, or at least not the Velvet Underground and Nico, I don't think. There is a theme of like wanting love and maybe not receiving it through that album. But yeah. um, I think it's very deliberate that he pairs this quite depressing and despairing lyric, honestly, 
with some of his most beautiful music and with a backing that again is not conventional Metallica that they were mm-hmm. able to provide. And so, yeah. And this, the song also ends with, I think it's like five minutes of just strings, right? At least five minutes. It might be even closer to 10 minutes where yeah. I feel like this is a 20 minute track and like 10 minutes of it's the song and 10 minutes of it is just kind of these droning strings. And I remember hearing this album for the first time being like, it, it, you, it kind of goes by faster where you're like, mm. you just kind of get lost in the, uh, the ambience and the, the kind of the drone. Uh, it, it, it creates this sort of cathartic end to mm. an album of dark chaos. Um, despite the, like you were saying, the depressing theme of the song, it's in a weird way, musically, provides kind of a cathartic release at the end it's it's like the end credits of a movie or it's like lou reed i mean this is this is an album that's based on theatrical productions and he had staged theater before of berlin i think in the mid-2000s which is where the reevaluation of that album happened but um it's almost like reed says his last word and you know he takes his bow and exits the stage and then you just have to sit with the emotion for however long, you know, or it's like, uh, in life, he's, uh, hung up his hat as an artist and now it's just us, not even Metallica, just the strings. Um, and this was, yeah, inadvertently his last song on his last album. So you have that extra layer to it there. Totally. I think, you know, there's not a clear message, I guess, that's sent from this song or for, from a lot of Lou Reed's work. But I guess his last statement is, you know, hoping for hope. And whether he found it, we don't know, but we have to hope so. Just have that faith. Absolutely. Shall we talk about um, the positive fallout of this album? Uh how critics and fans loved it and adored it and it <laughs> was uh, a best-selling album now. Yeah. Would that we lived in that world. <laughs> it's, um, I just remember reading the reviews when it came out and it was so mixed where you had either publications calling it like this amazing work or you had the now famous Pitchfork um, <laughs> review that uh, they gave it a one. Mm. A one. And I, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um, but basically it says, Lou Reed of Metallica's collaborative album based on German playwright Frank Wittekind. Am I pronouncing that right? I think I think Wittekind. Vindic- that Vindican. would make more sense. Yeah. Vindican. Vindican's plays about a social climber turned to prostitute has been preemptively crowned the worst album of all time. How bad is it? Well, and uh, let me skip ahead a little bit here. Um, Lulu was first previewed with an especially repellent <laughs> 32nd tract of The View that confirmed everyone's worst suspicions of the project. Namely, that Reed's crotchety, atonal poem rants would be wholly incompatible with Metallica's fidgety riffage. 
The clip's most prominent lyric, throw it away for worship someone who actively despises you, seemed to mock both artists' most forgiving fans for even clicking on the link. Hmm. By the time the view was released in its full five-minute ghastliness, with Hatfield variously professing himself to be a table, a ten-story building, and possibly the premier member of Philly hip-hop band The Roots, <laughs> the internet had all the evidence it needed to preemptively crown Lulu the worst album of all time. And I won't go on except for the next sentence, but even in that regard, Lulu disappoints. Yikes. In a way, it's hard to resent <laughs> anyone for feeling that way. Because it is a jarring album. I agree. It is a tough album. I agree. If I was writing a positive retrospective of this album, I could start with literally that opening and then go off in a more positive tangent if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't have very clear recollections of like any specific review of the time i think because most people were equally confounded and the the praise that there was wasn't like on a literary level i think yeah. i think everyone recognizes the dissonance between lou reed and metallica but it takes some effort in dissecting the the narrative of it to really understand how they piece together. Um, but yeah, like I remember a few things like um, uh, Pitchfork writer, Brad Nelson, who I'm in touch with, they uh, wrote up a proposal on Lulu for the 33 and a third series. So that's like a series of mm -hmm. like these little books about each one is about a classic album and um, they're all by different authors. So most of them like pretty conventionally well-liked albums in the metal realm. You have master of reality, which is really a really great one. It's by John Daniel of the mountain goats. And it's from the perspective of yeah. a 15 year old in a mental asylum who all they can do is think about master of reality. It's great. Hmm. Um, there's rain and blood, but yeah. Um, Brad wrote a proposal about Lulu that is um, it's like one chapter and, uh, some headings and stuff, but it's very articulate and always helped me like understand that there is an audience for this album and there are people who consider it masterpieces and aren't just like projecting or aren't making things up about the mm -hmm. album. It's like right. most people are never going to like it and that's cool. And there's like a power to that, but um it's more, it's kind of like if you go looking for it, it will maybe be there for you. Sure. Yeah. So like I said, I've always been fascinated with the opinion of the Lou Reed fan. Cause mm. you know, the Metallica fan is well-documented on this podcast at least. Um, so I wanted to know what does the Lou Reed fans think? And I ended up going down at, quite the rabbit hole of uh lou reed facebook groups lou reed discords um a lot of uh uh i'll give again michael a shout out because he was very giving of his time very passionate about uh lou reed and lulu as an album um and got me in contact with a lot of people through discord um and uh I, I would like to, I, I got a lot of responses. I got a lot of responses and I want to uh, kind of share some of them to kind of give the Metallica fans out there a, a vibe of 
uh, how Lou Reed fans feel about this record. This is from Matthew Ludvino. I'm guessing is how you pronounce his last name. And it, I thought this was interesting. It's not my go-to record, but I always admire Lou for trying new things his whole career. It's definitely not as bad as people want to believe it is. Metallica hasn't made a great album since Master of Puppets, in my opinion. And I wish Lou found a heavier band to work with. I understand that. Like High on Fire or Neurosis, a band with a better drummer at any rate. I should give it a listen again, though. (laughs) Neurosis definitely makes sense as a potential collaborator. Yeah. Um, I liked uh, this one from Phil Redman. I like it. Metallica are a bit of a silly childish band, but with Lou at the helm, together they made an interesting album. They should do records with other proper artists. And I was like, oh, ugh. I just wrote, but maybe they are also a proper artist. (laughs) (laughs) People do have that perception of Metallica in some circles, which I always found funny. Yes. But depends on what you hear. I don't know. Um, This is from Kevin R. Schmidt. Having seen Metallica a few times in concert, owning a few of their albums, I thought the collaboration would be interesting. The first time playing Lulu, I didn't like it because it was sonic shock and awe. Being a fan of Lou Reed for 50 years, I knew I had to put a few days between the first and second playing. The second time, it was just as brash as the first time. I pulled that out again after three months. There were a few things that caught my attention that I liked in the lyrics. A few words and phrasings were antiquated, which seemed odd. The music was still problematic for me. I waited about a month before playing Lulu a fourth time. With the fourth playing, the odd and antiquated phrasing made more sense with the soundscape Lou and Metallica created. That was the hook that really drew me into the album. It took me a few more months of playing to really begin to understand and appreciate Lulu. It took about a year to begin to love Lulu. It's not an easy album to access and get into. I think it's one of the best things he's ever written. It is an album that takes time to appreciate and like nor is it an album you just take out and play any time. It is a mood and concept album that is very dark. Unlike Berlin, where a listener can play it at will and enjoy, Lulu requires a certain discipline and respect. Lulu is not for everyone. I agree. Somebody wrote, Eli Tectile, or Tectile, wrote, the only Metallica album I like. <laughs> I had to say it. It was just funny to read that perspective. Um that is like kind of the general uh, vibe of it where people are uh, kind of casual Metallica fans or completely look down upon them. But you can see the feelings are kind of mixed. But generally, I would say the reaction is uh, more positive. Um, I want to end with uh, Michael Ramirez, who's the Michael I mentioned before. He wrote on Facebook before inviting me to Discord. I love Lulu. It's genius. Um, he said, and then he invited me to the Velvet Underground Discord. Um, he said, many of us on there love it to death and many hate it and have precise reasons for this. Um, so I ended up joining the Discord um, and got a, a variety of responses. I'm going to read what Michael wrote because I thought it was very thought out and he took a lot of time to write it. Uh, so I want to share it with you. It's supposed to be a painful, challenging album like Berlin was, but this is about other painful, challenging things. A big part of it is that Lute specifically wants you to devote your damn time to those long songs with wheezy, spoken, depressing lyrics. It's an exercise in ultimate control of the listener. I think thematically and content-wise, all the loose threads from his career are tied up in Lulu. 
I'm sure it'll get a newer reevaluation considering it's been almost 10 years and it's simply tactless to vehemently slam the album with cheap put downs the way every publication and every one did at the time. We literally saw another Berlin happen to Lou with Lulu, but luckily Lou didn't give a fuck this time. However, it's a more difficult album than even Berlin is when you put yourself in the 1970s mindset while evaluating and contextualizing Berlin. It's a really painful album like Berlin, but in a way that hasn't been socially reconciled, i.e. drug addiction, suicide, violence against women has lost the stigma for discussion music a long time ago. There's still a lot of content in Lulu that is a dumpster fire discussion in society, but particularly relevant right now, sex trafficking, sexual grooming, abortion, and all that is obscured by polarizing things, heavy metal music, and Lou's elderly talk singing. If I was to go on farther about why Lulu is important and why you should listen to it until you get it, I'd already have a draft for such a review. I'll simply say that the way Bowie stunningly left the world mm. much in the unreal mythical fashion by which he entered, Lou left the world as strongly convicted of a bump in the social tapestry with another record of work about real shit which allows an opportunity for discussion. And I thought it was fine that he mentioned David Bowie, mm, who uh, famously uh, has said on record, um, in, and this is included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction speech of Lou Reed, mm. um, that David Bowie thought uh, Lulu was a masterpiece in his uh, one of the best works of his career and notable that bowie was saying that to uh laurie anderson lou reed's wife who's also a great artist yes in her own right yes but and, yeah. and also a very avant-garde does not give a fuck type artist totally i think yeah there is a con there is that context there that didn't exist in 2011 where in 2011 we were like oh th here's this quirky weird thing of an aging senile lou reed doing whatever the fuck he wants with Metallica. It seemed kind of like a lark, but clearly both parties invested quite a lot in it and got a lot out of it. Right. But in like post his his death, it fits into the canon of like great and yeah, confounding final works by great artists like Black Star, where Bowie went into jazz and psychedelia, and it sounds nothing like any of his other work. Um, Leonard Cohen had You Want It Darker, which was a really good final album but also like films and like even shakespeare's played the tempest where they're these like meta commentaries on all these things throughout their career but they're not they don't tie it up in a neat bow for you they're still quite confounding and um they sum up sum up a lot of the themes they've been going on about but yeah just leave you hanging and fascinated Going out in question mark, not an exclamation mark and not a period. <laughs> <laughs> Lulu? Um, I will say on Discord, uh, a uh, a metalhead showed up in the Velvet Underground Discord. And he said, it feels like Lou's work played by them. Yeah, it's really out of place in their discog. I feel like St. Anger and Lulu go hand in hand with like their horrible albums. But while I do despise St. <laughs> Anger, I think Lulu doesn't deserve the negative hype. Wow. I decay what to call it. So by the way, I mentioned this because it led to a conversation about St. Anger in the Velvet Underground Discord, which of course led to me mentioning that you're going to be on this episode with Ooh. me and including a link to your St. Anger uh, article from Red Bull. And uh, Michael, who I've mentioned several times, the 
my I'm the I'm a big fan of Michael who's a big fan of Lou Reed and Lulu. He goes, I love the Sabbath reference. This writing is great. And then added, um, see, Thurston Moore said he bought Berlin because he read Lester Banks calling it the most depressing record ever made by a human being. <laughs> made him go, fuck yeah, I need to buy it. And like this essay saying, it's what everyone believes metal shouldn't be is making me excited to listen to St. Anger after I finish reading this. Your word, sir. Thank you very much, that. Michael. I hope you guys connect. Please invite me to all of these online spaces because they seem very nice. Yes, <laughs> yes, uh, we are. Uh, we're going to get you involved. I, I'm, I'm excited to continue uh, mm. the conversation with them even after this uh, episode is recorded and uh, released. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, Metallica, obviously, you fans will check this out because you all mm. listen to this podcast because you are all fans of me, right? Richard, <laughs> they love me, right? Tell me they love me. And, um, but, <laughs> but I, I'm hoping this episode also gets some Lou Reed fans listening. And you can find me on social media at Metallica Spot on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and tell me um, why I'm an idiot or something smart I said or uh, in, in, give me some insight into the life and career of Lou Reed because I'm definitely uh, do not know everything. So mm. give me some insights into uh, to his uh, work and I would greatly appreciate that. Um, Richard, what are we missing from our in-depth two and a half hour talk now about Lulu? I'll leave you with two things. One is that for me, uh, I remember when I first heard it, I gave Lulu two and a half stars because I thought it was an interesting but perhaps failed experiment to gel the two styles. Um, a lot of my friends gave it half a star, one star, understandable, but I always recognized that was something there. And on this fourth listen, I have bumped it up to a whopping four and a half stars. I did not expect that. So <laughs> I'm very glad to have had this experience. I'm sure neither of us expected to be this positive about it a week ago. No, and <laughs> and I will say this. I will say this. Um, I am putting Lulu away. I'm not going to. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I now that we have recorded this episode, I took it out to listen to it from start to finish. Gave it a couple spins this week. I did a deeper dive into some of Lou Reed's stuff too, like checking out metal machine music in Berlin. Like the albums I had heard of and listened to bits and pieces of, but never really mm. like, or the controversial albums in his career that I never really did a deep dive in. So it led me to do that. And uh, so I, I loved putting together this episode with all that said, Lulu's going back away for a while. I, yeah. I do not, this is not an album um, I need to revisit again soon. Um, I'm, I'm very content with going back to disposable heroes mm. and blackened and, um, even, uh, even better than you, <laughs> even, <laughs> even better than you. Um, but I, I will say I, you know, interacting with the Lou Reed fans, diving more into his catalog, um, listening to this album again. And like I said, some songs with the fresh ears, um, I did get a new appreciation for the record. Um, there are definitely a couple songs, like I said, mm. that you know I was like, oh, I'm kind of digging this. You know, it, it's never going to take the place of 
any other Metallica album mm. for me personally as a massive Metallica fan. But I think when you look at it as its own thing, its own entity, its own being, um, I think you, if you are open-minded, if you are into uh, avant-garde artsy stuff at all, um, I think you can get something out of it. And I say that because just because you're open-minded does not mean you will like this. Oh, absolutely. It's a very, it's a very niche thing. Um, and like I said at the start, I, I, I am into some of that stuff. I can get something out of this. Um, but I'm also, like I just said, putting it away for a while and going back to my comfort level mm. of the Metallica albums that I, uh, I love, but I did enjoy doing this and I will pull it out again. And, and, and I'm interested to see if I pull this album when I pull this album out again, will it be before another year passes <laughs> and no matter when I do it, will it be start to finish or will I go back to a few select songs? So I'm interested mm-hmm. to see how I live with this album going forward and how I continue to experience this album. Um, I, you know, I, it's like, it's, it's like when you have that relative that you love, but you, they can overstay their welcome. Yeah. It's like, all right, I need you to go home and stay at your own freaking house. But, you know, we can schedule a time to meet up maybe in six months. Yeah. And have like a weekend together. Or, or That's how I feel about this album. Yeah. Or I see it as like a really difficult film or uh, a, an art gallery or something that you only go to every few years. Yeah. You know, you're not watching yeah. Tarkovsky's Stalker every night, you know, over dinner. <laughs> right. But yeah, it yeah. might change your life. It will challenge you for sure. Um, I will say... To like, if you're not a fan, uh, awesome. I hope you had like a good, like deep engagement with this episode. If this is the only thing mm-hmm. you ever take away from Lulu and you never think about it again, I hope we did our job. Um, yeah. I will also say that if you want something similar, but maybe a bit more conventionally likable, there's um, Nick Cave for sure. Like what album would you say? Yeah is i would say uh an album that i think would be very um approachable for uh metalheads because of the theme is murder ballads totally. which i mentioned before like literally every song about it is about murder if you want a if you want a metal song if you want something that's graphic and uh uh if you want like a death metal version of nick cave listen to the song stagger Lee. yeah Listen to the song Staggerly. And uh, I think that uh, even if you listen to it once, I think you will be entertained by it. You will laugh. You will cringe. You will say, did he just sing that? And the answer is probably yes, he did. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I, I would recommend that album for Metalheads as their entry point. Um, and it also has some like pretty, uh, you know, the, the dark subject matter, but more conventional songs for the most part that are easily wrapped around that you can easily wrap your head around. Um, so that'd be my recommendation. I will second that for sure. A great album. Uh, the other one that I reference is, um, are you aware of the album soused by Scott Walker and son? I am not. Uh, so Scott Walker was the, in the late sixties, he was this Baroque pop singer. He was like actually, um, he, he was actually pretty mainstream, but theatrical. And 
over time he just got weirder and weirder into like arty drone stuff and he had a very creepy high voice that he would deploy and so he did a collaboration with the doom drone band sun which i think is sort of what hmm. a lot of people wanted from lulu or hoped that lulu was and it's yeah. very it's very good in its own right and that's yeah, yeah a bit a bit more can oh well, a bit of both like it's a bit more avant-garde in quotes and by being more recognizably avant-garde it's more conventional if that makes sense right yeah more yeah, in yeah. the genre i will definitely check that out out of curiosity and i and i will tie in with what you were saying too is that i'm you know recording this episode with richard mm. not to change your mind mm. not to make you want to revisit the album even though that would be cool if it did um but i think i you know i i think it's important that uh uh, if I'm going to host Metallica podcast, we covered it all here. Yeah. And, uh, and I want to give my two cents on it. I want to hear the opinion of others because I value, uh, the opinion of others like Richard and the Lurie community, and of course the Metallica community. Um, but I, I think it's also important to just contextualize this album because it, it's, it's, uh, a difficult album to not just listen to, but to, understands why it exists and where it fits in um you know if you're a metallica fan you understand where it fits in their catalog mm. um but i think if you're not familiar with lou reed um you know it's hard to contextualize where it fits in his catalog of stuff and i think when you i'm always i've always been somebody where i get interested by things and i want to dig deeper and research more and i get uh, i i get sucked into these deep dives of stuff um, even if it's not like my favorite thing, like I, a couple years ago, I like the beach boys Don't get me wrong, mm. but I listened to only so much of their stuff. But like a couple years ago, I did like a, spent the summer just doing a huge deep dive into beach boys. Just, I, I felt it was, I thought it was interesting, fascinating, you know, cool music. I haven't listened to the much in, you know, since then, but I, I just got pulled into that. So like, I, but I also understand that's not everybody's personality. Mm. Not everybody wants to take the time to, or has the time to do deep dives, to do the research, to live with albums. One of the ones you saw, like the one comment I read from Facebook, it, he's been a Lou Reed for him, Lou Reed fan for fifty years, and it took him a full year mm. of like listening to this album on and off to get into it. Like not, not everybody's willing to make that investment, and I get, and that's not a jab that i get it you should not necessarily have to make that investment to like you know you want to put on an album and instantly like it right totally. uh, but i i hope that by doing this episode we at least contextualize some of it and uh provide some background and understanding um and uh if you do want to check out the album again because of this episode i think that's pretty damn cool totally. and i'm sure all of you right now are like we just listened to two and a half hours about it we're not going to listen to 90 minutes of it. <laughs> well, they call it difficult art for a reason. And, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't, the Lulu, the project wouldn't like work if everyone in the world liked it, you know, yeah. but at the same time, like the kind of emotion of it is there. If you want to look for it, it, um, like it's, it's both a difficult listen, but also it's very plain in that everything you need to understand is kind of in the album itself. Like you yeah, can totally. do deep dives and context, but yeah, it's all there. And that's what I love about Metallica too, actually, because 
you can listen to Master of Puppets for 30 years and still hear new things and new influences from it. That's true. That's 100% true. Richard, where can everybody find you? I am on Twitter at RSH underscore E-L-L-E. Is that it? (laughs) For now, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Check him out on Twitter. I'm going to mention this before I wrap up with Richard because I just remembered it and I've been bad at remembering. Um, I hope that you guys like the original music in this podcast by Bison. And please follow the links in the episode description to check them out uh, and support uh, Hector, who's a one-man band extraordinaire. Uh, Support him, support his music through Bison. I love that episode, Um, by the way. Check out the links in the description. Oh, thank yeah, you, sir. The intro is the super cool, right? I love the Creeping Death intro. I love it, yeah. I, I never knew that Metallica with organ was a, was a thing that needed I needed in my life, but yeah. It, <laughs> wow. Samesies, awesome. samesies. So make sure you check out the links in the episode description for him. I'm going to plug everything else when I do my little tag on after, but I want to make sure I remember to include Bison because I forgot yeah. last week. And I wrote to him, and he's like, I could care less. And I was like, but I care. (laughs) I care. (sighs) So I'll give him his plug now. And if I remember when I do the tag on, I'll mention him again. And you guys will have to sit through it and fucking like it. What a whopper of an episode. (laughs) (laughs) We did it. Yeah, we did it. Louder. Yeah, we did it. Can we do uh before we leave, Richard, can we can you do we did it and let's see if I can mash that up with some Lulu. Alright. One, two, three, four. Yeah we did Small it. Town Girl Yeah We did it. Why do I cheat? Yeah Why do I cheat on me? Yeah. Small Town Girl Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Big thank you to Richard S.E. for coming back on Metallicast. If you made it this far, God bless you. You are a true, loyal listener. But all joking aside, I hope that you got something out of this. Even if you do not get something out of the Lulu album itself, I hope you got something out of this here podcast episode. And I also want to thank the Velvet Underground Discord, uh, Michael especially, who got me in contact with everybody and who made a the connection on facebook and everybody else in those facebook groups much appreciated i always was fascinated to hear about lulu from the perspective 
of the diehard, hardcore Lou Reed fans. Because I, being a hardcore, diehard Metallic fan, had only heard that side of it. So it was interesting to see the differences and similarities at times in both camps. Please, if you're new to the podcast, download, subscribe, leave a positive five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow me on social media at MetallicasPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you check out the links in the episode description for Bison. I want to thank Hector again, who is the one-man band behind Bison for all the original music you heard in this episode, including the awesome Creeping Death intro. Make sure you check out the link in the episode description to also follow Richard as he on the Twitter machine. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, middle of your ass, yeah! Fans not experts.